Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with Dave Vermill, host of Locked On Heat. And joining us from the bubble is the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about Toronto's chances to come out of the East and who in that conference is the second best player behind Giannis. But let's start today in the Western Conference and the race for the eighth seed in the playoffs. After Monday night, the Grizzlies, after beating the Pelicans, still have a lead over the Spurs, but the Spurs beat or the Spurs narrowly lose to the Sixers Monday night. Um, they're followed by the Trailblazers and the Pelicans. The Pelicans, of course, beat the, the Grizzlies on Monday night. Ben, do you think the Grizzlies can hold on with their lead in the Western Conference? Well, look, it's getting really, really tight. I thought the biggest development was actually that Pelicans win over the Grizzlies on the Pelican side of things. Because, look, if they had lost that game and started the bubble 0-3, Zion's not getting on track, something along those lines, I think we would probably be able to say, hey, this race is just too tight. There's too many teams involved. New Orleans looks like they're falling out of it, even though they have a really easy remaining uh, strength of schedule. Now, I think that that storyline flips a little bit. Now, New Orleans has some momentum. Zion extended his minutes tonight to play 25 minutes. He looked good, really, for the first time since he's been down here. And now he's in the mix. So I think what we've seen by Memphis going 0-3 to start is that we know for sure there's going to be a play-in. And it's just a matter of, you know, which two teams are in the mix. By the way, Memphis's spot is not guaranteed in that at all. I mean, they're really only up you know, basically one game in the loss column on San Antonio. So, you know, a couple more losses for Memphis could wind up, you know, knocking them out of uh, the eighth or the ninth seed, which of course would be kind of a catastrophe that uh, I don't think a lot of people saw coming last week. So, um, you know, it's, it's time to get a, a little bit nervous. I think for Grizzlies fans, there've been some really high moments for them along the way, you know, a sensational performances multiple times from Jaron Jackson Jr. And then some really nice plays and flashes from, John Moran as well, of course, but uh, ultimately you got to close these games out. They've struggled doing that, careless fouls, and then they just weren't able to get enough stops uh, at the end defensively to to slow New Orleans down, uh, you know, on on Monday night. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a series of coin flips to determine who's going to be coming out of that uh, that eight nine matchup. Do, do yeah, you guys after get Monday? Well, I, just a quick update though. After Monday's results, Portland was the only team that didn't play. They ended up going up to tied with nine. With San Antonio, both San Antonio and Portland are two games back of uh, Memphis. But like Ben said, it's really only one game when you kind of consider the the win and loss columns there, or the loss column there. Uh, sorry, David, what were you going to say? No, I was wondering, do you guys get a sense that maybe Memphis is just happy to be here at this point? Like, obviously, they want to compete for a playoff, but they've they've gotten kind of a ostensibly a playoff spot anyway. And they just they're here in the bubble. That's probably more than they expected to be at the start of the season. They've worked so hard to get to this point. And I know they want to continue winning like all NBA teams do. But I kind of get the sense from them that that maybe they've hit their ceiling already and they're not really pushing these other teams that have a little bit more of a veteran presence as much. And, you know, that's another thing, too, to consider with with Memphis is, you know, there are so many young players that they, you know, I don't know if they understand what it takes for them to get to that next step as far as locking in a playoff spot. And and, and I just I don't see what, what the next level for them is this season. I think they're just at the starting point now because they're so young. They have the future to look forward to. And, and that's a good place for them. I think you hit it on the, the head there, David. I think they hit their ceiling because watching that game today against New Orleans, they they you could argue they were playing harder the entire game for for more at least certainly the for most of the game, but the Pelicans just have so much more firepower. Like if Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't have it going for the Grizzlies, they don't really get scoring 
from a whole lot of other places. John Morant scores too. I shouldn't. I should, so if it's one of Dylan either, Brooks had a good man, game too. Or, yeah, but he kind of every once in a while you can't rely on him on a game to game basis. This yeah. shot w- it was shaky to start this thing. They're 0 and 3 against sub 500 teams. It just doesn't seem like they're going to be able to be any better at any point in the bubble. While the Pelicans, like they've got Zion, they've got Brandon Ingram. They can come in waves. JJ Reddick comes off the bench. Alonzo Ball's doing a lot of stuff for them. I just don't see what the Grizzlies can do if you know Jaron Jackson and John Morant don't have it going like they Jaron Jackson had it going today, but he was like the only guy from Memphis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that to me they were the biggest overachievers, uh, you know, during the, the the regular season prior to the shutdown, and I do think that they thrived on just other teams taking them for granted, feeling like they were such a young team, especially early in the season, and then just outworking, out hustling, you know, beating teams, you know, that maybe had their own guard down. I think what you're seeing here in the bubble is a lot of competitive play, a lot of players who are glad to be back on the court after four months off. And then of course, nothing but playoff stakes in basically every single game. You know, we see a young team like Memphis often in a normal season, you know, fade back to earth a little bit in March and April, once they start playing better teams that are tightening up and, and getting serious. And I think it's kind of the same effect here, just even more pronounced because you're in kind of a shorter time period. Um, you know, ultimately like this was supposed to be a, a transition building year for them that, you know, even if they go, zero and eight, <laughs> In Orlando, they're going to wind up having vastly exceeded expectations. And a, a guy like Taylor Jenkins should be in the coach of the year conversation. John Moran's clearly the rookie of the year, you know, basically no matter how you slice it. So um, I'm not sure if it's a happy to be here vibe, but I do think it might be something along the lines of, well, they've already, you know, got the hay in the barn, right? They, they kind of already accomplished everything that would have been good this season. So it's not the end of the world there uh, if, uh, you know, more experienced teams or, or teams maybe with a, a little bit more stakes at this point of their development you know, wind up, uh, you know, knocking them out of this position. That's fair. The Spurs went into this bubble with a very specific goal of player development, right? That's at least what Greg Popovich was saying. But going into Monday's games, they were sort of the darling, dark horse, new favorite to come out of the West, at least as the eighth seed um, in that in that whole group. They narrowly lose to the 76ers uh, on Monday night. Ben, you were there. What do you think of the Spurs' chances to get that eighth seed now? Yeah, I only saw uh, bits and pieces of that game, but I mean, it was crazy kind of like back and forth Two teams that kind of desperately needed wins like we were describing, you know, in these mixes. I mean, for Philly, it was kind of a statement win of, hey, look, we've got all these internal questions, you know, do our guys fit? Is our coach getting fired this summer? I mean, all this kind of stuff hanging over that team. So it was a desperately needed, you know, uh, victory from them. For San Antonio, I don't know what to make of them. I'd I'd be curious uh, how you guys would explain what they're doing. Uh, they have been playing very well in the bubble and, uh, you know, pushed Philadelphia quite a bit right down to basically the final possession. Um, no LaMarcus Aldridge kind of changes their complexion and it, it probably removes any of the pressure or the expectations from this group. And now they can go smaller a lot, you know, play uh, maybe a little bit better spaced and, um, you know, potent lineups with backcourt guards. But, uh, you know, it, it does feel a little bit like the old Popovich magic, you know, getting these guys you know, back into this conversation, I guess when I came to Orlando, I just anticipated both Phoenix and then Sacramento once Bagley went down and San Antonio kind of all being dead in the water. And that's really not how it's played out so far. No. And, and I think everybody's going to sort of pat Greg Popovich on the back for this. And I, and I agree just to be in this conversation. Right. But I just don't I don't know if it's sustainable. This this game against the Sixers felt like more of the Sixers shooting themselves in the foot more often, like. They're playing so small, the Spurs are, and it's just the Sixers should have just been punishing them with Embiid and Horford in the post over and over again, and of course they didn't. 
And they're a team, and we know this about the Sixers, as we say this all the time, they don't really have an identity. They don't really know what to do in crunch time when they need to, when they need to score. And they ended up getting a huge shot from Shake Milton. But, you know, that was that was a contested jumper. They didn't really have – they had a bunch of dead possessions before that. Meanwhile, the Spurs, they're kind of showing that the value of just having an identity. And granted, it's a very new identity, but at least it is an identity – where they play small, DeRozan's playing power forward now, Rudy Gay's playing center, and they're just going to say, you know what, we're going to set super high screens for DeRozan, let him get downhill and, and go to that Euro step in that mid-range game over and over and over again. We're going to try to space you out and do it that way. They know exactly what they want, and you got to give Popovich some credit there. But I don't know uh, that it's sustainable. David, who do you like coming out of the West at this point? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Phoenix has looked as good as anybody, right? I, I mean, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I, uh, I, I kind of lean towards Portland. I just feel like they've got the kind of right mix there of young players and, and, and veterans that are pushing for something. That they're a little bit more driven, and while they're a little deeper as far as the standings are concerned, I just like their mix of players. I, I, yeah, I like their chance. Zach Collins back. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, despite the fact that they have us on white side on their team, they still look pretty <laughs> solid overall. I mean, just one loss so far out of two games, and uh, I, I like their chances. Ben, do you want to take a prediction at, at this? Um, look, I mean, this is pretty much impossible to handicap at this point, even though there's only five games left just because they're all so tight. Um, and then once you get into the you know, into the play-in round, I think that these teams are all so similar that whoever gets that eight seed is going to have a massive advantage because – uh, you know, winning once out of two is a lot easier than winning, uh, you know, twice out of two. I mean, that's basic math, you know, Captain Obvious type of stuff. But I think <laughs> that there's so little that separates any of these teams that uh, basically whoever claims the eight seed is going to wind up uh, holding it, I guess, is my my opinion. I like the pick of the Blazers. I mean, you can definitely talk me into that. Um, you know, they've got a tough game coming up. You're kind of a showcase game against Houston this week. I believe it's Tuesday night. Um, you know, Houston has looked very lethal and very, very hard to match up with. I think for Portland's front line, that's going to be challenging. Terry Stotts is probably going to have to, you know, just uh, punt some of his bigger lineups and try to go smaller. And, and that's going to be tricky trying to play Houston style. So, um, you know, that, that would probably be the number one game I would tell people to circle on Tuesday night is to see how that plays out. If Portland winds up dropping that game, which is totally possible, uh, their path is going to get a little bit trickier. But, uh, you know, I guess if you're looking at all the players on these teams, you know, who do you trust the most? The answer is Damian Lillard, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody else really in that conversation right now. No. Well, I'm glad you guys both made predictions. I'm not. You guys. We'll talk about the Raptors' chances to come out of the East next. But first, let's talk about CBDMD. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or if you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, recharge when life gets chaotic. First one, CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze. The second one, the CBD Recover combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support that you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing uh, set of products and everything else CBDMD has to offer, they're offering our listeners here 25% off of your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Again, that's CBDMD.com. Use the promo code NBA and you'll get 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products, CBDMD. 
All right, let's get to some of the other scores from Monday night. The Toronto Raptors beat the Miami Heat 107 to 103 behind Fred Van Vliet's career high 36 points. The Heat were actually down 17 and were actually managed to take a three point lead before some bad officiating gave the game to the Raptors. The Denver Nuggets beat the Oklahoma City Thunder behind a combined 67 points from Nikola Jokic, who had a triple double with 30 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists to go along with Michael Porter Jr.'s 37.12 rebound outing. The Pacers, behind T.J. Warren, the leading scorer in the bubble, uh, they were able to knock off the Washington Wizards 111-100. to The Wizards, of course, without a win in the Orlando bubble. The New Orleans Pelicans with a 10-point win over the Memphis Grizzlies, behind 23 points from Zion Williamson. The Philadelphia 76ers knocked off the Spurs 132-130, to behind 27 points from Joel Embiid. And, of course, the Lakers currently leading the Utah Jazz. A big game from Van Vliet. He might... Not be the second best player in the East, which we'll talk about later on, but he's helped the Raptors start their seeding games now 2-0. and uh, Ben, where do you stand on the Raptors and their chances without the superstar player to come out of the East? Well, I'm feeling very smart, guys. They're making me look good because I've been hyping them up for about the last month as a team I thought could really take advantage down in Orlando, mostly because of the chemistry and cohesion, clear identity, you know, flexible coach uh, in, in Nick Nurse, who's... Uh, going to be able to make the most of, you know, weird circumstances given his track record, you know, coaching overseas and all that stuff. And then just also just their collective buy-in. I think that matters almost more than anything. Uh, they've got healthy egos, but not unhealthy egos on that roster. And they play for each other and they play really, really hard on defense. I like that profile a lot. I mean, to me, I, I have them a tier above Boston and, and pretty much anyone else in that in that following group. Um, I think they're the biggest threat to Milwaukee. If anybody comes out of the East and it's not Toronto, at this point, I would be completely shocked. So I know you were talking about second best players in the Eastern Conference. I'm not totally sure he's made his case completely yet, but uh, I think Pascal needs to be in that conversation. I think the easy answer is Joel Embiid. Um, you know, how long he's going to be able to carry his team into these playoffs, I think, is an open question. I'm basically selling all Sixers stock at this point. So you know, if you want to say, hey, Pascal, or, or maybe there's some people out there who wouldn't even make a case for Lowry right now, based on how well he's been playing, uh, you know, all around basketball, I would be open to either one of those arguments. David, do you, are, are you in on, I don't remember where you stood on the Raptors. I just knew that going into this, I was actually the opposite of Ben. I thought this was Toronto, just a, a redux, just of uh, pre, uh, previous to Kawhi ever getting there. Yeah. You've got Nick Nurse, who I think is, you know, pound for pound, the best coach in the NBA right now, especially in the playoffs, what he does, um, with his creativity and his game planning to a game to game basis, I think is just, it, it surpasses what guys in the East, like, like Brad Stevens and Mike Budenholzer can do with those teams that are also at the top there um, with the Raptors. But I just didn't think they had the superstar power to carry them through. Cause at the end of the day, it was sort of Kawhi who I thought got them through the Eastern conference playoffs last year. I'm not so sure. This Raptors team, their defense is better than it was last year, even without Kawhi. They are extremely consistent. They don't really do anything poorly. I, I maybe I maybe I counted them out too early. Yeah, I'm a believer. Uh, I wasn't at the start of the season. I really thought that they would go into this year 
kind of taking their foot off the gas, realizing they've won a championship. They finally got past LeBron James and were able to achieve all their goals and and rally a whole country behind them, et cetera. But at the same time, and now you look at, at what Nick Nurse has done, and he's got them more re-energized than I would ever have possibly dreamed. I, I did not think that they would go and, and be as steady and consistent as they've been. They obviously played very well last year, even without Kawhi Leonard. But now this season, they've just been able to develop other players. They've gotten some really great performances from OG and Unabi. Everybody understands their role and I think that's a huge thing is that without a superstar now you have a clear hierarchy there you've seen other teams in the past that may not have a superstar and nobody's really sure who's going to step up the leaders on this team at least emotionally are Kyle Lowry maybe from a production standpoint and you have Pascal Siakam everybody else knows their place whether it's Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka or Fred Van Vliet who's capable of huge scoring of nights like he did against Miami uh, I, I think they're just a really good solid deep team they're well coached and again they, they have the experience the chemistry all the things that Ben mentioned and that that aspect of knowing their role, I think, as they're preparing, not just for a championship, but under these circumstances, these unusual circumstances of being in a bubble, they look really good. I, I Look, I have to give some credit to Miami because I think they're somewhere similar to that as far as, uh, you know, Eric, I asked Eric Spolster about that specifically today before the game, and he said that he sees a lot of the Raptors in the heat and vice versa. He respects that team. And so I look at the heat now with Jimmy Butler they have a, a clear hierarchy there too. They've got, they're well coached. They everybody knows their role, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't have that championship expe- experience. They don't have that X factor to a large degree, and that's something that Toronto does. And so I have to I have to look at them and say that they're a legitimate contender, possibly even a better team uh, as far as the overall chemistry and X factor and intangibles than Milwaukee might be. Wow. Well, I my I, I want to kind of punt pump the brakes a little bit on Toronto because the Lakers that went against the Lakers it was a good win but the Lakers missed so many open three-pointers in that but that's game by design. they were, that's, they were clumsy that's by design. That's, I guess part, but they they did shoot defense, they shot like 25%. I don't know care what your design is like you could try to get the other team to shoot 25%. It's not always going to happen. And then Miami missed a whole bunch of three-pointers too. Duncan Robinson didn't make his first three until midway in the third quarter and that's when Well, yeah, I mean it look it I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to take away all the credit. I'm just saying, like, the, you got they got two games in a row where the opponent shot way more, way worse than they typically shoot, even against Toronto, who has a great defense. Like I said, uh, that's all I'm doing. I'm, pump, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit. I'm not slamming on the brakes. I'm just pumping them a little bit. I'm just giving them a tap. Ben, am I crazy? Yeah, you're absolutely nuts, Wes. No, okay. uh, look, <laughs> I, I think that David's got a point here on the by design stuff. Look, they. They schemed Anthony Davis really hard. They said, basically, hey, we want to know who your third and fourth guy, Lakers. Who's that guy for you? And we're going to make him beat us. And you look at those Lakers, you know, three through 12, given some of their injury issues and guys who aren't here, that's kind of a weaker cast. I like that game plan a lot. I think Nick Nurse does a really nice job of saying, we're going to try to limit your best players as much as possible and, uh, you know, force you to do things that you don't want to necessarily do now. I also think Toronto was just jazzed up to play their first game. The Lakers had already had the opening night excitement, so I think that was a factor in that game as well. But Toronto's just darn good, and they proved it all season long, and I think both you guys are just typical American media members selling short uh, the Toronto Raptors, just like everybody else out here. No, look, I've been doing that for years myself, too. I hear from the Raptors fans constantly, but I think this year they've kind of got a point. I mean, and they're easy to overlook because it's not some prestige American market. Um, they don't have that superstar level player, you know, that uh, is a household name, like you guys had mentioned earlier. But I think Pascal is really darn good. And Kyle Lowry's, you know, arguably the best point guard down here right now. I mean, I'm not sure yeah. 
uh, unless you count James Harden as a point guard, who else you might want to have in that conversation. So um, I, I think LeBron. they've earned the praise and, uh, you know, come on, Wes, be a little bit nicer. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate that nobody rolled their eyes, at least in an audio form. Uh, when I said Nick Nurse was the best coach left in the Eastern Conference, I'm not even sure I believe that. It might be Eric Spolster at this point, but Nurse has the has the team there, uh, and yeah, they don't have the superstar. But maybe in a in a weak Eastern Conference, you don't need the superstar. Now, if the Raptors were in the Western Conference, that would probably be an issue. Uh, but they're not. They're in the Eastern Conference. All you got to do is probably get through Giannis. Uh, besides Giannis, who do you trust the most in the East? We'll talk about that next. But first. Uh, let's talk about my bookie. Sports are back, and I've been waiting for this day since March. And now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind, and that's my bookie. My bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it. You love it. And that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up to the minute odds on all of your favorite teams. And with the start of Major League Baseball and the NBA here, there's never been a better time to start playing. With my bookie, it's easy. You bet, you win and they pay. If you're feeling good about your team's chances this year, be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them right now. But why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future, and in this case, that means basketball, hockey, and football. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all of your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games, too. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. So join today, and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%, plus they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code LOCKEDONNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win, they pay. Remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked on NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us, and make sure to support our sponsors. Giannis and the Bucks play the Nets this afternoon, and the Heat and the Celtics play tonight on TNT. So we know the best player in the East is playing today. That's Giannis. But is the second best player in the East also playing today? So basically, this is my contrived way of asking both of you guys, who do you think the second best player is? in the Eastern Conference is obviously behind Giannis. Ben, you sort of talked about this earlier. You've got Joel Embiid, maybe Kyle Lowry up there for some reason. Who do we trust outside of Giannis, the second most outside of Giannis in the Eastern Conference at this point? David, I'll start with you since Ben sort of already answered. Yeah, I don't trust anybody else outside of Giannis. I, I don't think there's any one singular player that can be as dominant either, as either Giannis is or even as, as dominant as Kawhi has been historically throughout the last couple of seasons. So, I, I mean, you look at Joel Embiid can make that kind of impact, but I just I don't trust the Sixers. I don't trust that they're going to be this consistent. I don't trust that Embiid is going to stay healthy and be able to to make the kind of impact that we know he's capable of. And if there's any way of stopping Giannis, I think it's going to be you know a team effort. It's going to have to be a, either a singular role player who focuses on limiting him, maybe an be for the Raptors, or even a Bam and a Bio for the the Heat, somebody along those lines. But no one's really taking him out of the equation, and I don't know that there's any other one player in the Eastern Conference that can compare with Giannis as far as that level of production, the overall impact. I mean, he's the MVP for a reason. Hey, here's a heater for you, Wes. The number two player that I trust um, in the Eastern Conference is actually one of Giannis's teammates, Chris Middleton. There you this go. Guy, this guy just shoots the ball incredibly well during the playoffs, never gets any attention. He's better than Jason Tatum, but the fans in Boston will never tell you that. Um, and he's more experienced, more reliable, more uh, you know dependable, all that stuff at this point in their respective careers. Now run run the clock for two more years, and of course Tatum's going to pass him. But I think if I was drafting players from the East right now, I would probably go Giannis one, Embiid two, Pascal three, 
and then probably Middleton four. If we're just talking about the guys who are actually here in Orlando competing, uh, you know, and obviously leaving Kevin Durant and guys like Kyrie Irving out right. as well. But um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's my hottest take I've got for you. Milwaukee's got the market <laughs> cornered on trustworthy players in the Eastern Conference, and you could throw Jimmy Butler in there too. I, I don't mean to be overlooking him as well. I like Jimmy Butler. Um, even Bam Adebayo, to a certain respect, but. I'm I'm still a little bullish on Jason Tatum. Uh, he had a good Sunday night, a good Sunday afternoon game there. I think he's going to bounce back uh, from that weird first game that he had. Uh, he's one of the best wing defenders in the NBA right now, or at least he can get there when he tries. And uh, I, I believe in his his scoring resume and and just what he can do on that end. But I've been really impressed with his teammate Jalen Brown. I mean, as far as just trusting guys. Jalen Brown, even since his rookie year, has come up big in the playoffs, right? We always end up having that moment, it seems like, in every postseason. Whoa, can Jalen Brown be the next Kawhi Leonard or whatever? Like, it feels like that somehow becomes a storyline every year. Um, I don't know that I would put him as my second guy, but I wanted to give him a little bit of a shout-out there. Uh, I think Joel Embiid, at the end of the day, has to be him. I mean, even, like, the Sixers had no business winning on Monday at all. But they just, Joel Embiid attracts so much attention. He's basically Steph Curry in the post where everybody goes to him. There's a reason why Shake Milton ended up getting that shot off at the end of regulation is because everybody was focused on Embiid. And you just can't replace that even when he's not at his best, even when he is hovering at the three-point line maybe a little bit too much and not punishing guys down low as much as he should. He still has all of that gravity when he's in that spot. And uh, it just affects the game in a way that can't go away. You can't replace that. So I'd probably have him be number number two. But I like Middleton up there. I mean, he's basically at, what, 50, 50, 90, or 40, 40, 90, or whatever it is at this point. Um, he's unbelievable. Um, one last question to end the show. Ben, you're on the Disney campus. Uh, David and I, we grew up in Florida. So I think we all have our Disney World experiences. Let's go around. Um, I want your favorite or least favorite thing about Disney World. Ben, let's start with you since you're in the uh, – since you're in the bubble, or have you become a mouse a mouseketeer yet? Um, absolutely not, guys. You know, I'm not a real big <laughs> Disney character guy. I'm not a real big cartoon guy. My favorite part about the Disney World campus are the lakes, you know, and the wildlife, all the stuff that's not Disney. Um, and I actually like the facilities, too. They, they've done a nice job with the basketball courts. I'm going to give them credit for the ESPN Wide World of Sports campus. But, um, you know, the rest of it, you know, all the the Mickey Mouse bracelets and the free subscription to Disney Plus and the, you know, Mickey Mouse uh, Rice Krispie treats and waffles and all of it. It's just too much. I've, I've hit my limit already. Honestly, I hit my limit before I even got down here. So uh, I'm doing my best to uh, to stay away from the uh, the corporate brand synergy stuff that's going on in every how direction. Do, down here. How does the virtual fan stuff look uh, from up close? Because, I mean, I, it's a little nauseating watching it even on TV. It just I'm, I can only imagine it must be a little scary to see it that up close as you are. It's better than I thought it would be, but I had pretty low expectations. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just funny. Uh, you know, it's it's funny to think that, like, we could watch the fans' reactions in real time to, like, like a game winner or, like, a missed game winner and how, like, meta of experience that would be, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it's it's a nice touch. It's better than empty seats. I mean, to me, the most important thing that they had to just have a video board or something so it didn't look like a cavernous arena because that's the easiest way for players to be like, oh, man, what am I doing out here? Just kind of psychologically, it would throw them off. So the fact that they built these TV sets for these guys to play on, I thought was a super ingenious move. And I thought they executed it quite well. So to recap, Ben is pro weird Black Mirror video boards with uh, virtual fans, but <laughs> n negative 
you know, the world, the Disney World land of happiness. Uh, David, oh, are we getting fine. a bah humbug to Disney World for me too? Or? What am I really missing here? Come on, make the case. Uh, you know, I, I, I just seem to really enjoy going there. Even as adult. I know a lot of people have said, you know, that seeing adults there with no kids is kind of creepy. I, I happen to have been one of those adults. I've been there a number of times without kids. Uh, I, and I just, to be honest with you, I, I just enjoy the park. I, I've been trained and or maybe it's been ingrained in me to tolerate the long lines i don't mind them if the weather's nice and if it's not too hot which almost invariably is in orlando i'm sure you're experiencing a fine combination of heat and humidity and constant rain right now ben but uh, if you're in the park and and the weather's not too bad you've got a couple good weeks there in december and january where you have quote unquote winter here in florida and the park is really a magical experience one of the parts i actually like least about disney world is the kids themselves they're they're spoiled little bastards that really don't appreciate how much money mom and dad have spent to take them there they're throwing tantrums left and right they want all these different mickey mouse gear that ben's rejected so completely uh I, you know to me I, the kids make it almost the least pleasurable experience as far as wow. going to the park itself yeah that's just me you maybe started off well and then you got the bah humbug anti-kids we got the anti-kids take now I just I, I tried to end this on on a light note by talking about Disney World and both of you guys just poo pooed the entire thing. What, um, what do you think I, about the park? I don't like it that much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it for Locked On NBA. Thanks for listening, everybody, and please stay safe. <laughs>